The following podcast is brought to you by Pathways Church. Thanks for joining us for this message from our weekend service. We exist to lead people into a growing relationship with Christ. If you have any questions or even a story to share about how God is moving in your life, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at pathwayschurch.us. Thanks for listening, and we pray that God's Word will enrich your journey today. We had church, church so far. I mean, I feel like maybe I could just leave now and be done. Uh, Listen, church, I I don't usually like to start off uh, by bragging, but um, I'm just going to brag a little bit. Because y'all may not know this about me, before I was a worship pastor or uh, became a creative arts pastor here, I, uh, I was a model. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> yeah, I was a runway model. Can, can, you want proof? Let me show you a picture. Circa 1982, uh-huh. Yeah, no, that, that's a wool woven uh, tie, members only jacket. That's at Walmart where my mom worked. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was my one and only modeling career. And uh, every teenager wants to model clothes for their mom at Walmart where she works. Right? It's super cool. Uh, but anyways, that was my first model and only modeling gig ever. I moved on to have some other jobs. I went to multiple job interviews. My first three job interviews were all for sales jobs. You know why I went? Because they said that they were uh, flexible schedules a lot of earning potential, and there was room for advancement. I'm like, I'm here for that. So I went to the interviews, they gave me the jobs, and then immediately, even though they were sales jobs, they never told me what I was selling. So immediately after the interview, they moved me into another room, and they start going over these product demonstrations so that I'm supposed to learn. And the three products that I was trained to sell were uh, going door-to-door to sell books, going door-to-door to sell vacuums was the second job interview, Going door-to-door to to sell cutlery was my third. Now, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And all three times I went to these training sessions right after my interview, I sat there and I went, ooh, this ain't what I really thought I was signing up for. And I felt terrible leaving, so I stayed because I didn't want to be disrespectful to the person that was doing the training. So I waited until they gave us a lunch break, and then I went to lunch, and I never came back. Don't judge me. I was a teenager. That's how... That's how I did. And here's the deal. There's nothing wrong with those products. There's nothing wrong with making a career out of selling those products. I have friends, people that I know that sell those products and they make more money than I ever have made. And they're super wildly successful. The problem for me came in this. My expectation didn't line up with what the opportunity was. My expectation didn't measure up to what was being offered to me. And it highlighted this trend for me that has followed me all my life. When I have certain expectations of things going a certain way, then I want to see those expectations met. Anybody this morning have some expectations in your life right now that maybe aren't quite matching up with the reality of what you'd like to be experiencing? Anybody? Anybody sitting smack dab in the middle of some situations or some circumstances that are maybe a little bit messy and you feel like you've got a pretty good idea on how God could fix it if he would just listen to you, right? It's like, yeah, you know there's a trinity, but you're like, hey, God, what if you made it a quartet, invited me to the table because I've got some ideas to share with you, we'll expedite some things, we'll win for you, win for me, and God's like, uh, no. 
We may not ever say that out loud, but our prayers and the way we, the attitudes of our heart sometimes can reflect that. That's what we really think. And so today, we're going to look at a really familiar story in Scripture and how God gave some specific instructions that we're going to challenge and press on the expectations of God's people. And like them, whatever circumstance you might have come to mind when I asked you that question, you and I have a choice to make on how we're going to navigate the space between perhaps seeing the miraculous happen and what we feel is a mundane, everyday, humdrum life. And we're going to look at the walls of Jericho and how God's people conquered what was going to seem completely impossible. So before we jump into Joshua 6, where our story takes place, I want to give you a little bit of background. Joshua was a new leader. He had come up under the tutelage of Moses. Moses had been the leader of 6 million people that he led from uh, Egypt under Pharaoh. God miraculously delivered him, and Moses was in charge of those. Joshua chapter 1 opens up by saying, Moses has died, and they needed a new leader. And so God was going to ask Joshua to lead these people. And God says this to Joshua in chapter 1, verse 5. He says, Joshua, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave or forsake you. Now look, church, if God told me that he was going to be with me the way he was with Moses... I'd probably have some swag and some confidence because if you read the book, if you study the life of Moses, God showed up in some powerful ways in freeing his people. And when you've seen miracle after miracle, you kind of get used to expecting miracles on the regular. When you see God's power on full display, 10 plagues, a uh, uh, clouds leading them through the wilderness and it, the nightlight that God made them was a pillar of fire as he led his children. When God parts the Red Sea, peels it back like an onion for his people to walk on dry ground and only to have Pharaoh's armies come to their demise, you start to expect and see miracles and expect to see them on repeat. When you wake up every morning to a breakfast buffet of manna, oh, and it's a lunch buffet and a dinner buffet, you see and expect miracles. One of the miracles they talk about were the children of Israel wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. And one of the miracles was that their clothes and their shoes didn't wear out. Which is why I tell my wife anytime she's like, you've had that shirt for like 20 years. I'm like, yeah, it's a miracle. God's still doing miracles, honey. <laughs> um, so anyways, this is how it starts for Joshua. And a little bit later in chapter one, God says, I'm going to lead you to the promised land. I'm going to take you to the promise that I made to Moses. And I'm going to use you. So get your army ready. And I'm sure Joshua is like, sookie, sookie. It's about to go down. We're about to take the land that we have uh, been promised. So on the way there, they face their first obstacle. Before they're going to get to Jericho to inhabit the land that God had promised them, they come to the River Jordan, which the Bible says was at its peak is that flow, uh, flood, flood stages. And so how are they going to get across here? This is the first test they have for Joshua, this new leader who the people don't have much confidence in yet. And God tells Joshua, you know what I want you to do? I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant, have the priests step into the Jordan River. And as soon as their feet hit the Jordan River, the rivers part just like they did for the Red Sea. And God's people are allowed to walk through 
on dry land to get to the land that God had told them they were going to go and inhabit. It was just another miraculous day and the storyline of God's people. So they get across the river. They're at uh, the walls of Jericho. They set up camp there. And I would imagine they're sitting there at night, maybe sitting around the fire going, God's told us we're going to take this city. I wonder how he's going to do it. What's Joshua going to have us do? Which battalion is going to get launched first? Which weaponry is going to be launched first for us to take this city? And so they sit in the shadows and wonder. And this is where we find ourselves in Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. If you want to read with me, here's how it goes. Verse 1, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. The king of Jericho was terrified because he had seen the miraculous way he had delivered them from the Pharaoh. And he saw the miraculous way they had crossed the Jordan River. So he's like, oh, this ain't good for me. Verse 2, then the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. If I'm Joshua, I'm going, hold up. I mean, the Lord saying, see, I've already delivered them into your hands seems like crazy talk because you know what? Ain't nothing happened yet. The walls are still here. The fighting men inside Jericho are still waiting. And God is saying, look, what would seem impossible, I'm talking about walls they say were staggered and they were probably estimated to be between 45, 75 feet tall. God's going, that little wall I'm going to teach you, I'm going to make what would seem impossible possible through me. The battle you haven't even started, Joshua, has already been settled. And I want you to see it. I want you to see that I've already given you the victory. Verse 3, he continues. God says, I want you to march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark, and on the seventh day, March around the city seven times with the priest blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army and everyone, and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Now, if I'm Joshua, I hear these instructions. The first part being march around the city one day. I'd be like, okay. And then how about then we do a sneak attack? Maybe then, after one trip around, we can do some flaming arrows and take over things. And God's like, no, no, no catapults, no anything. Just do what I've asked you to do, Joshua. And what struck me and what I think we can learn from this moment in Joshua's life was that God had a plan that was completely different than what Joshua would have drawn up. When you look at your life, you look at your circumstances, you probably have some plans of how you think things should happen, but I want you to know God may have a plan completely different than the strategy or the way you think things should happen. And so it's worth taking a note because maybe God's picture of your circumstance and how he wants to move in it is gonna be different and you gotta lay down your expectations to see what he has for you. Because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Romans eleven thirty three says it this way, Paul writes, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his path. It's beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? 
Apostle Paul, y'all, is a brilliant mind. And he says, who has counseled him? Paul's saying, look, I ain't on his level. He's not asking for my advice. He's asking for our yes. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for us to give him our yes and walk by faith and not by sight and not by what we see when we see these walls and these obstacles. And it's a reminder to myself to say, Gary, you ain't God. So when it comes to your life and your expectations, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself because he may be up to something completely different. And this journey of faith that we're on, it's not for the faint of heart. It requires a commitment to follow even when we don't understand, when we're invited to a different dimension of living, a different way of moving throughout the world. There's a verse a lot of us quote, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. It's on coffee mugs. makes a great coffee mug scripture. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Sounds good. Sounds cute. Because we all want direction, don't we? We all want leading. We all want to have our path straight. But the hardest thing to do is the first part. Trust in the Lord. And lean not on your own understanding. Because we want to understand. And we want to sometimes withhold our trust when we don't understand. But that is the pathway to having our path made straight. So a question for you to just ponder this morning is, you ask God to search your heart on these topics. What is God calling me to trust him with or to do in this season of my life? What is God calling you to trust him with this morning? Or what is he calling you to do with this season of your life? Because maybe now is the time God wants you to take some steps forward into what you've been maybe putting off because of fear. Maybe you're a parent or a teacher or a manager or a spouse and God is saying, I want you to see, Gary. I want you to see something different. I want you to see the vision, the preferred future that I have for you to step into. And I know it might seem impossible, it might seem daunting, the walls might seem insurmountable, but where I lead you, I'm going to provide for you. And as I was with Moses, so I'm going to be with you. I'm never going to leave you, never going to forsake you, no matter what you're facing today. God invites us to see from heaven's perspective that it's already done. Gary, can you see it? Can you believe it with your toes? It may not look like that in the natural, but it's already settled just as it was for them. I'm going to give you victory. And he gave us victory through the cross so that we become more than conquerors through him who loves us. And it's not going to be always based on our power or our might or our strategy or our witty thinking. Sometimes it's just going to be a work of his spirit at work in your circumstance. And we want to make room for that. So we see Joshua receive this holy invite to say, God, your way is better, and I will listen for your instructions. So Joshua gets his marching orders, and let's look at how he leads God's people, starting at verse 6. It says, so Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance. March around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. 
The armed guard marched ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All the time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices and do not say a word until I tell you to shout. Then shout. A few observations for you that hit me. In those instructions, did you hear anywhere in there Joshua explaining all the details of the instructions that God had given him? No. Uh, did Joshua tell them how many days they were going to march around the city? No. Did he tell them what was going to happen to the walls? Did he tell them that there was going to be a miracle on the other side of their obedience? No, he didn't. Park those thoughts for a minute. Let's continue in verse 11. So Joshua had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Kind of anticlimactic. Verse 12, Joshua got up early the next morning and the priest took the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to camp. They did this for six days. Day three, get up in the morning, Pack your battle gear, march around the city, and go home. Day four, get up in the morning, pack your battle gear, march around the city, and go home. About day five, I'm probably marching. I'm starting to whisper to my buddies, like, does Joshua know what he's doing? We look like stupid idiots out here. Is he the leader that God really has given us? And here's what kind of surfaced for me as I considered that. Sometimes I think God shares specific marching orders and plans with you. Gary, I want you to do this. I want you to make this phone call. I want you to apologize here. I want you to step out in faith here. He gives you very specific marching orders. And then there are times that he entrusts the details to the leaders that God puts in your life. And I don't like it. Because that's where the rub comes for most of us, right? Most of us like to be in control of our lives. In fact, as a child, from the time you are a child and you become a teenager, you're trying to find a way to get your freedom so you can do your own things, you know? And you're like, I can't wait to become an adult and go to sleep when I want and eat what I want and do whatever I want. And then you become an adult and you're like, I hate adulting. This sucks. I want to go back to having somebody take care of me. So the question becomes this. When it comes to the leaders that God has put in front of you, how are you doing when it comes to following? How are you doing when it comes to following well? Because life can be hard. Following God can be hard, can't it? And you know what? God's perfect and it's hard. But following those that he puts in charge can feel even more difficult and sometimes even impossible, whether that's in the conference room, in the locker room, here at church, in the classroom, a home uh, where you're trying to lead kids. We have our list of reasons why we maybe don't have to follow well. And we shouldn't follow well because, I mean, after all, they're flawed. They don't have the full perspective. They don't really understand. And so we think we have the option to kind of opt out of being a good follower. But what if you following 
well. You following with integrity is actually what God is calling you to in this season of your life. Sometimes we trust when we don't understand because we believe that God has put people in charge and they may know something that we don't know. And God might actually use your not knowing and still choosing to follow well when it's hard as a training ground to build your character, to work inside your heart. See, Joshua, Joshua had to trust God with the battle plan. The Israelites, they had to trust Joshua. And here's why I think that's key, because choosing to follow well when it doesn't make sense with walking faithfully is a difficult invitation. And the way he instructs them is he says, I want you all to do more walky and less talky. Let me just keep it real with you. Sometimes God is trying to help me with this because I have walls, I have obstacles, I have problems that I'm facing. And sometimes the only way these are going to really be solved is when Gary stops running his mouth, trying to prove my point and powering up and fix the solutions or come up with them on my own. And I need to be instead just Gary, shh, and just walk in humility waking up the next day like they did and guarding my mouth, coming home, making dinner, going to sleep, and getting up the next day and doing it all over again, rinse and repeat. Because in those simple acts of obedience, it takes more discipline for me to be patient and to walk around quietly and worshiping than it does for me to worry and work in my own power and trying to manhandle my own life. Isaiah 40, have you not seen, have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God who does not grow weary and does not sleep? Those that wait on him in those spaces, he'll renew their strength. So one step at a time, faithfulness doesn't always look sexy, but it can, and it can be seemingly ineffective. But the good news is this, living a faithful, diligent life while it might not be glamorous and it might feel mundane, it may be the very space that the miraculous wants to show up when you least expect it. Because that's what happened with them. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, they march around, nothing happens. They don't know when it's going to happen. But day seven, something miraculous takes place and we don't know when to expect the miracle to happen. I read a story of a lady, she was talking about going uh, to the grocery store, and a miracle kind of took place out of the blue, and this is how she tells the story of what happened for her. Uh, it was a girl's weekend, her and her girlfriends were gonna just run to the store, so uh, her, she took her friend Karen to the grocery store, and um, as the weekend was approaching, they were stepping up to the cashier line to check out, and they found themselves uh, behind a woman waiting on someone to arrive. She motioned for uh, her and her friend to go ahead and go ahead of her since she was looking back towards the aisles for somebody to show up. And she says, but before we could move our cart forward, a young mom with a cart full of groceries and a crying child in tow approached waving to the older woman. As we allowed the young woman to get in front of us, she says, my heart began to pound. And in that moment, the Lord impressed on my heart something so strange. Buy her groceries. 
What? He spoke again in a whisper. Love that young woman and buy her groceries. The lady says, uh, I hesitated, but then I decided to reach out and I tapped her on the shoulders and I spoke the words that God laid on my heart. <clears throat> I, I know it sounds strange, but God told me you were supposed to buy your groceries. She gave me a quizzical look, but with tears filling her eyes, she graciously accepted. Then she and the other woman left. A few moments later, though, the other woman returned. She identified the young woman as her daughter named Micah. And she started to share with them about how Micah's husband recently walked out on the family, shattering their world, leaving Micah feeling unloved and unworthy of love. Micah could barely make ends meet. She felt abandoned by everyone, but most especially God. And the mom said a few days before this moment in the grocery store, Micah and her had prayed. And this is what Micah's prayer was. She simply said, God, if you are real, if you love me, and show me you have not forgotten me. These ladies going away for a weekend to hang out, having to go to the grocery store just to grab some stuff. You know what that is? That's them just doing life, marching around, not knowing when God was going to open a door for the miraculous to happen. And in an instant, being obedient, they were a part of a miracle happening in Micah's life that transformed her, and she knew that God had not forgotten her. So let me encourage you with this. Do not judge tomorrow's miracle by today's results. They marched for six days, and you might be doing a few laps, maybe even a few steps away from a breakthrough in your life or a miracle in the life of those that you have around you, and you have no idea, but if you will just continue to faithfully listen with an open heart, with an open mind, you may witness or be a part of a miracle taking place. Mm -hmm. So, do not let the mundane of life the mundane of life, dull your anticipation for the miraculous. Walk openly. So let's fast forward now to verse 15 and see how the miracle takes place in this story. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner they had done before, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. When the trumpets sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. The walls of Jericho can be a symbol or a picture of the barriers that you and I face that are keeping us from moving and advancing into what God has told us is our future or the destiny that he has for us. Those obstacles that you may face in your life may want to keep you from advancing and taking steps of faith towards what God has for you. The walls and the obstacles may whisper to you, no, you can't do it. That's impossible. You'll never change. There's no way that relationship can be mended. There's no freedom from that addiction. You can't start the business that God's called you to do. 
But like this story, you've got to know what season you are in because there's a season when you are called to just walk quietly. They did it for six days. And then there's a season where you shout your brains out. See, different seasons might require different expressions of obedience. And you got to discern and know what season you're in. Different seasons require different expressions of obedience. So as you survey your life and you look, have you been given directions that you've opted out of due to fear, due to frustration? Or even this morning, is God pressing on your heart and saying, hey, now is the time where you need to step out and take a risk. You need to tap someone on the shoulder and be obedient. You need to do something to see the walls that you are facing come down. And now's the time for uh, action. Because sometimes obedience looks like rinse and repeat daily grind. Sometimes obedience looks like doing more and going above and beyond with kindness and generosity. Sometimes obedience looks like showing up first, leaving last, and working harder than everyone else without any recognition. And sometimes obedience looks like being loud, taking bold action, and trusting in the God that you serve, the God that you love, to do something amazing. And the walls can make you want to give up and never try again or believe. But God says, no. See, I've already given Jericho into your hands. He says to you today, see your obstacle? I've already guaranteed you victory, no matter how bad the struggle is, because in me is your power. In me is your strength. In me is your provision. So how many of you guys know that God can do the impossible, that he is more than able? Because sometimes our faith it can kind of leak, right? We can kind of leak and we lose that, that hope, that confidence in who he is. But what if, what if the obstacle in your life might just be there simply because God wants to make it fall as a testimony to how big he is? What if what you're facing, God has allowed to be there simply because he wants to go, let me show you how powerful I am. And you just sit back and follow and trust and you see the miraculous. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute. Think about some of the things we've talked about this morning. And specifically, maybe you're here this morning or you're watching online and you have, you've never placed your trust and your hope in God. You've been trying to get through life on your own terms and you never knew that there was a God who actually wants to do the miraculous and he wants to say to your heart today, hey, I want to be with you. I want to walk with you. I want to empower you to live a different kind of life. And the same way I was with Joshua, the same way I was with Moses, I want to be with you. I want to fight on your behalf. So if you want to begin a new relationship with Christ this morning, with no one looking around, I simply want to invite you to just raise your hand so I can pray with you. Nobody else looking around. If you want to give your heart to Christ, if you want to place your trust in him, you want to step out and begin a new journey, then just raise your hand. I see your hand. Yep. I see hands all around this room. And maybe online you're, you're listening to this and you want to respond. I want to give you the chance to just type in the chat, I'm giving my life to Christ. And one of the beautiful things I love about this church family is we pray together because we all need each other and we are in this journey together. 
So I want to invite you to just pray these words out loud together if you're making that decision today and if you're in this room to support those making the decision. Pray these words. Say, thanks for loving, living and dying so that I can have life. I receive your forgiveness and I'm giving you the top priority of my heart. And with your help, I will trust you and I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we celebrate those that took a courageous step of faith to say, I'm gonna give my trust.